0: As we come now before the very Word of God, Uh, would you turn in your Bibles with me if you'd like to read along to the book of James in chapter 4. We're back in in James this week after taking a brief pause uh, uh, for Easter Sunday. And as you turn there, would you pray now again with me? Lord, uh, we... We want the same things that the writers of the psalmists want. That your words would be sweet to the taste. That these things would be sweeter than honey and, and that we would see them as more desirable than than gold. Lord, we know these things are life because they come from you, the author of life. So Lord, now would you open our minds to understand these things? open our hearts to believe them. Guide us now in your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take up this morning uh, this first section of James. We're going to read uh, the bulk of the chapter, even though we will not address it all today. And I think even in your bulletin, it begins in verse 1, but I'd like to catch the last verse of of chapter 3 as well and then read on into chapter 4. So this is James chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read on. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit and that he has made made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of God. Now, there's a lot packed into this section of James. So instead of trying to just cover this all in one big sermon and being all over the place, I'm going to take some time to unpack it, and I think this will take us maybe three weeks. We'll see how it goes uh, as, as we progress. Today, at least, I want to focus on just the first three verses of this chapter. And in those three verses, that's where James addresses the topic of our passions, our passions. So that's what we'll be leaning into today. Uh, but instead of just reading only those three verses, I wanted us to hear this entire context all together so we get a better sense of James's trajectory or where, where he's taking us. There's some pretty pointed words from James here. Yeah, he calls us adulterous people and sinners and double-minded, and you know, a part of me wants to say, you know ouch james you know come on give me give me give me a break you know some of its words are are meant to sting us and even though i don't like being stung i don't imagine you do either it's a good it's a good thing for us you know these are the the words of almighty god through the hand of James, the human author. And as God's words here, the author is not content to just let bygones be bygones. You know, you live your life, I'll live mine, and we'll go our merry ways. Nor is the author afraid to ruffle some feathers or to upset anyone. You know, that's the way that some Christians might think. Uh, but that's not what James does for us here. And James is writing by the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm sure now as we've been with him over these past weeks and, and months, you may have noticed that, that James has a, a habit of getting up in our business in a way that makes us maybe sometimes feel uncomfortable. Uh, he calls us to pursue certain paths of living. And not only to pursue certain ones, to, but to also reject other paths. He wants every Christian, every growing Christian to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. That now as Christians, now that we have been saved by Jesus, by his grace, we are secure in Jesus already. Now that we're saved by him, that we would grow to live like him, that our lives would look a little more like Jesus. And I know this is hard. I know it, it's hard for me to, you know, being a doer of the word, to actually put sweat and effort into obedience is, is tough. It's tough to admit that I'm wrong, that I need help sometimes from God and from others. It's tiring to fight some of the same sin battles in my heart again and again and we can wonder maybe sometimes if we're even making any progress in being a doer of the word at all and that could be really discouraging but let me encourage you now do not give up on it to be a doer of the word to pursue god and godliness is worth Every bit of struggle There is life In being a doer of the word In the opening of the psalms The very first psalm One of the first things we hear Is that a person who delights In the law of the Lord Not just in the Lord But in his law In his ways One who delights in the law of the Lord Is like a tree That's planted by streams of water that's full of fruitfulness That have leaves that do not wither Now I want to be like that tree I want us to be like that tree Not just because there's blessing there Not just because there's fruitfulness and strength Although I want those things too But because a tree like that honors God Brings delight to God A tree like that loves God That's what we want So now how do we how do we move in that direction? How do, we, how do we cultivate that sort of holiness in us? James here in this section then addresses something that might stand in the way of our holiness, which is the fights and quarrels among you. That's his concern here. The fights and quarrels among you. And boy, if we have learned Anything from this past year, it's what a mess fights and quarrels get us into. So if we're really going to deal with this as a barrier to our holiness, as a, gro- as, as a barrier to our growth in doing the Word, we can't just snip off the bud and deal with the things on the top. We have to dig down to the root. So James doesn't just talk, so about, talk about quarrels. He starts by saying, what causes quarrels? What starts a quarrel? What, what's the source of the quarrel? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, maybe you're in the middle of an argument. Maybe that thought pops into your head. Or maybe after the argument, if you're the kind of people, person that stews about it afterward, in a, maybe in a good way, maybe in a, in a bad way. But you think, you know, h- how did we even get into this fight? Or, or maybe you find yourself in some of the same spats over the same things over and over and over and over, and, and you wonder maybe, why do I do this? Why do we do this? There are lots of things, of course. He's not restricting it to only one. There's lots of things that may contribute to fights and quarrels, but James's answer to the source of fights and quarrels is this, our Passions. Let me read verse 1 to you again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it this? That your passions are at war within you. Now, in the rest of the sermon, I'll call these things that James is talking about here passions, just because my English Bible translation uses that word. Uh, but if you're reading other translations of the Bible, other, other English translations, you might see this word passions translated as your desires or perhaps your lusts. But in my assessment, one of the best renderings of this word is your pleasures. Some English translation says, what, what is the cause? It's your pleasures at war within you. The Greek word Let me be Greek nerdy for just a moment. The Greek word underneath this in the original is hedone, which is where we get the English word for hedonism, which if you're not familiar with that is a philosophy of indulgence and pleasure. So that's the source. It's ironic then that the source of quarrels and fights is not a desire to inflict pain, The source of quarrels and fights is a desire to gain pleasure. At any rate, as we look at what's going on here with these these passions, with these pleasures, as we look at the root of our quarrels and, and fights, I want to make just three observations in the text about these passions. Three things I want us to notice about them. We'll get to them as we go along. Here's the first observation about our passions. And this may seem obvious. The first observation is that our passions are an internal issue. Our passions are an internal issue. So fights and quarrels show up in lots of different ways. This is not news to any of us. Some of some of our quarrels are quiet. You know, maybe the kind that involves some sort of silent treatment. I'm going to make you pay by not talking to you. Or some uh, version of grumbling and grumping off on your own. Some are quieter, some are louder. There's lots of ruckus, there's shouting, perhaps there's even physical aggression. In some of those quarrels, some of those James mentions, can spiral out of control and at their worst end, might even end in murder if they're that extreme. So these are the evident external effects of quarrels, but the external wars begin with internal wars. The cause here, he says in verse 1, is the passions that are at war within you. They're within you. Not war between you, not in the space between two quarrelers. The issue is that it's in you, it's in each of the quarrelers. Literally, the, the verse says, There's war within your members. That is, there's something going on in, in your body parts. These uh, passions, because they're internal, are not always as evidence. Evident, They're not always easy to see because they're not on the outside. But we need to recognize that this is a powerful source that may produce quarreling and fighting. So when I sit with young couples, I suppose it also could be older couples, but uh, couples that are preparing for marriage, Uh, premarital counseling looks different, different places, different people, different times, but often when I'm sitting with couples that are trying to prepare for a rich and good and healthy marriage, we talk about conflict. Because married people, you got some conflict in your marriage? I've had a little bit myself. Uh, and, and so often to sort of prepare for that, we go to the wisdom of this verse here in James. And even though it can be a hard pill for us to swallow at times, to, you know, to reckon with that these are passions within me, it's easier to just blame somebody else. Once we learn to own this, that the source is the passion within me, that can produce good things. Once I own it, that can help give me clarity and control over conflict. It gives me clarity because... This will help me see what's underneath the quarrel. Not just where is the boat going on the surface, but what's going on with the rudder underneath that's steering it? What's the deeper desire within me that's not being met? So, you ever had the argument in your home about laundry being left on the floor? No? (laughs) No? Maybe once or twice? If you haven't, you've had similar sorts of things. You know, you know, some who put it in the basket, put it. You know, there's all this discussion. Laundry left on the floor. The argument is never, never really about a pair of socks, is it? You know, that's just silly. It's not actually about the socks. There's a desire underneath that's not being met. So a person might feel, in that argument, feel disregarded or disrespected or that the other person just doesn't care about them. That's what drives the quarrel. Or perhaps maybe that you've been in a quarrel about troubles with money somewhere. It's a little more serious than socks, of course. But even troubles with money... Underneath that are all sorts of passions, maybe fear, anxiety, perhaps doubt. And within a marriage or a family, each of those people may be feeling those same things internally. But instead of owning those things, instead we turn that fear on each other, and that's when it blows up into a big fight. So it helps us to clarify, even to pause if you're able, in the middle of a conflict, uh, if if not before, during, even afterward, to try to identify what is the desire or the passion within me that is causing this. So it brings clarity, but it also brings control to the situation to own this internal aspect we know not all control is good, obviously, but a lot of control is. There are forms of control that are good things. Self-control, for example, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit working in our lives, and, and we certainly don't want fights to get out of control. We want them to have some measure of control. So if the problem is mainly between us, not within me, but it's mainly between us. There's little that I can do to control that. I can't control what you say, what you do, how you respond. I can't control anything about the circumstances because all of that is outside of me. If I try to control it, I end up just trying to manipulate and that only ends up making the situation worse. If it's between us, I can be dragged into fights and quarrels even if I don't want to be part of them. But if the source of the quarrel is not just between us, but it's within me, there's something going on within me, then I have a good measure of control about whether I build into the quarrel or not, whether I pursue sin or whether I pursue holiness in this. I cannot change you But I can change me. By God's grace, I can change how I think and respond. That's the reason, by the way, when we look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, he certainly had plenty of conflicts, but he never had fights with people. Not just physical altercations, but fights. This is because Jesus is never quarrelsome. He always had control of the passions within himself, and they did not produce quarreling and fighting. That's our first observation, that the source here in the passions is an internal issue. Second observation here. Passions or pleasures, however we call them, passions or pleasures can be good or bad. Passions can be good or bad. You notice at the end of verse 1 when he says, your passions are at war within you. There's not a war if all of your passions agree. That is, before there's conflict outside, there's some sort of conflict of desire that's happening within me. There are good and bad passions that are battling inside of me. Paul talks about his own experience with this, which I've often found comfort in because, you know, it's Paul. He's supposed to know a thing or two. Uh, But he talks about his own experience with this conflict of passions, the law of God and the law of sin in him. In Romans 7, he talks a lot about it, but just a few verses. Verse 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul here is talking about this problem of this internal mix of holy and unholy desires. A conflict of passions within him. That is true for every Christian, by the way. You do not suddenly become holy in your actions, at least in your desires, until you're glorified with Christ after your death or until he comes. So this conflict happens within all of us. So James is not telling us, not telling us to kill all of our passions. He's not saying kill all your desires, even kill all your pleasures. Some Christians think that's the goal, and they're wrong. The goal is not get rid of all of your desires and pleasures. You know, we have in some of us this framework that if I want it, it must be bad. That is not necessarily the the truth. If that were the case, if you try to kill all of your passions... That will only leave you as a joyless, lifeless husk of a human. Not only will you get rid of all quarreling and wars, but you will get rid of everything else. You will be left with nothing if you get rid of all of your passions. And that does not glorify God. There are plenty in the scripture, plenty of passions and pleasures that we call sin. Lusts, lust is a passion, a pleasure, not just for sexual things, but also lust for forbidden things. That is sin. To covet is sinful passion. Sometimes we talk about cravings in the scripture, things that take hold of us. These are sin, but there are also lots of passions in the scripture that are affirmed as good things, as godly things that God loves. And that's more than just you know, the stereotypical holy stuff, like read your Bible and pray. You know, we want that. We want to read our Bible and pray, but there's also good desire to eat You know, to be hungry, to actually want food to be good, to taste good. That's a good desire. There's a good desire to know, to want to see things, to understand things. That can be good. There's also good desires to to lead. So we hear uh, Paul talk about those who aspire to be elders, to be leaders in the church. That's a good and noble desire, he says. There's even one more Catch this one. There's even a good desire for happiness in the scripture. There's a good desire for happiness. I know that some people bristle at that idea. They think we shouldn't want to be happy for some reason. You know, maybe that sounds like it's, it's indulgent or, or selfish in some way. But for a Christian there's a good desire for happiness. Actually more than that, it's a necessary desire for us. We should want to be happy. Uh, John Piper has become famous for this. Famous uh, preacher, I forget where, up in the north uh, in the United States if you're not familiar with him. But the book that put him on the map was the book that he wrote years ago called Desiring God. Uh, and the subtitle is Meditations of a Christian Hedonist uh, by which he means finding joy in God Uh, but he makes a strong case in this book that God actually wants us to be happy in him and uh, Piper says this early on in his book he says God is glorified not only by his glory being seen But by it being rejoiced in. Let me read that part again. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. This was a stunning discovery for me, he says. I must pursue joy in God if I'm to glorify him as the surpassing valuable reality in the universe. Joy is not a mere option alongside worship. It's an essential component of worship. We have a name for those people who try to praise when they have no pleasure in the object. We call them hypocrites. This fact that the highest end of man is to drink deeply of this pleasure in God was perhaps the most liberating discovery I ever made. He calls this Christian hedonism. And whether you like that term or not, he talks about delighting in God, with pleasure in God. Piper did not, he invented the term, but he did not invent the idea. He says that he discovered this idea in the scriptures, mostly in the Psalms. And I think he's right. As you come through the Psalms, you hear this sort of delight pleasure, even desire for God. I can't flip through them fast enough, so I just scribbled down a few of these. Here's a sampling. In Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. From Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants or longs or desires you, O God. From Psalm 34, O taste And see that the Lord is good. And my personal favorite from Psalm 16 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is a good thing to want happiness in God. We want God to cultivate these sort of good pleasures in us. We want them to grow that the holy pleasures will win the war over the unholy pleasures within us. So that the the wars, the quarrels and fights will be replaced with peace and joy. But we at least need to acknowledge that there is a mix of good and bad pleasures. That's the second observation, the third and final one. Especially given that our passions are sort of mixed bag, you know, this side of heaven, that we are a mix of good and good and evil desires. Third observation is that it is good that we do not get all that we desire. It is good that we do not get all that we desire. That every passion is not fulfilled. You know, in our house, uh, the, the old Rolling Stone lyric pops up quite a lot. Our kids don't know who the Rolling Stones are, but the, you know the line. You can't always get what you want. Can't, oh, no, duh. You know it. Can't always get what you want, which is a true statement. But I'd even take that a step further. I'd add to it a little bit. It's not just that you can't always get what you want. It's good that you don't always get what you want. It's good that you don't always get what you want. You know, we don't have to think about it very long. It's not hard to imagine what sort of monsters we might become if we got every single thing we desired. What that would turn us into. You know, most of us, I think, recognize that that's true, but we don't always believe that it's true in the moment, or at least maybe we don't think about it. So, let me give you an example. You you might have a particular desire or passion. So, I won't, you know, pick one, but you've got a particular desire or passion, say, and as far as you can tell, that desire is a good thing. You want a good thing, and it, it seems to be honoring to God. It's probably, you know, maybe helpful to people. It might be a blessing to the community in some way. I don't know. So you're seeking after it. You're, you're pursuing it, doing what you need to do, praying for it maybe even. You're asking rightly as far as you know, but you find that in all of this seeking after this desire, you fa- have found wall after wall after wall that God seems to be saying, no, no, no. I will not fulfill that passion. And that might leave you frustrated, or wondering why, or maybe even tempted to question whether God is good. Do not allow your mind to go there. God is good to not give us all that we desire. Even if that seems like a good desire to us. He's good not to give it to us. There might be any number of reasons Why he says no But God may refuse to grant to you A particular desire Because he doesn't seek to give you The object of the desire He wants to change what you desire We want God to change Our passions To affect our affections Because if he doesn't The alternative is truly frightening If God does not change our passions, it is frightening. One of the scariest lines in the New Testament, at least I think so, is in Romans 1, where Paul talks about some people who so routinely reject God, who do not thank him, who do not honor him as God, and and continue to reject him, that God, the line is, gives them over to the passions of their heart. God gives them over to the passions of their heart. That's chilling. It doesn't say that God gives them what they desire. It says he just lets their desires run wild. And the result of that is really scary. That those people become foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and they never seem to get what they want. That the greater their cravings get, it's this bottomless pit. The greater their cravings get, the greater the wars that result inside of them and outside of them. We need God to rescue us from that. If we are really God's children, if you are one whom God has adopted into his family through faith in Jesus, our Father in heaven is good and wise to tell us no to not indulge our every desire so that we will have peace in him. Those are our three observations. Let me just make one final comment. We've got the three observations. Passions are an internal desire that can be good or bad. It's good not to get everything we desire. Okay, we know this. We need to know that. But you may have noticed, at least in this section, that James does not tell us how to fix this problem. He just says, here's the sickness. But he doesn't give us the medicine. So if we're going to deal with our desires, if the problem is wars and fighting, if we have to deal with some passion within us, this is not something that we can just scurry off and fix. This is not something that there's, you know, a little step-by-step guide that will change the passions of your heart and help you to want what's good. The reason for this is because it is not a natural process. This must be supernaturally done in us. This is something God has to work in our hearts, and one of the ways that he works this in the life of a Christian is by uniting us to Jesus. And that's what we're about to do here in a moment. When we come before the table of the Lord Jesus, he is strengthening our union with him. This is not just something that happens in our mind or our mouth. We're not just remembering what Jesus has done on the cross, although we do that too. We're in communion. We're in common union with Jesus. That as we receive his spiritual body and blood by faith, we we taste and see that the Lord is good and come to believe more fully that at his right hand really are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we know that our passions are at war within us. We need no convincing of that, but we need you to work in us to train our passions towards you. Lord, would you set aside this bread and this juice as holy things to do a holy work? Would you shape our passions now to desire more of what you desire that you would be honored in our lives? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.